You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening. Today you'll be hearing from me as I continue our series called The Master. In John chapter 11, it says this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. So in verse 4, when he heard this, he said, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, "Let us go back to Judea." But Rabbi, they said, "A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back." Jesus answered, "Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light." And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am going, or I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews who had come uh, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard what Jesus, that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed, stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he had been, he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Let's pray. God, this morning we turn our attention to you, our master. And we pray, Lord, that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be open to you to hear what you have to say to us through this tremendous story, that you might speak to us behind whatever cave we're buried in this morning to respond to you and your voice, to help us put our faith in you. I pray, God, that you would speak through me this morning, that the words that I say would be your words and only your words, and that you would dwell in each person's heart as we hear from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, w- I went to school with a girl named Mindy. Mindy Sauer is her name. And Mindy has a beautiful young family. She has a set of twin boys. She has a daughter, and she has another child on the way. Some months ago, Mindy's son, Ben, uh, started having these headaches. And so she took him to the doctors, and it turned out it was her worst fear. He had a pretty severe tumor. So back in around, I think, January or so, they decided they would operate on Ben. And she um, she sent out this thing. She asked everyone to wear blue for Ben because blue was his favorite color. And so people wore blue for Ben on that day, and classmates wore blue for Ben. But as time went on, and, and all of these people prayed and supported her, and she has this blog that she sends, she updates and she shares about what's going on, and she has just just this tremendous faith to her. And what she says about her her love for God and her trust in God is just so marvelous. And she has something like 50,000 readers now. In fact, it's so interesting because I'll see friends of mine who didn't go to school with us from around here posting things that she has written. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing how this story has gone on and gone on. And more and more people wore blue for Ben people from far off serving in Afghanistan, and even companies got involved, like JetBlue, who flew them anywhere they want to go. In fact, it's it's interesting, you read her blogs, they've sort of become like a celebrity in Western New York where really nothing happens. And um, and she said and she said that um, they had to like they they didn't tell anyone where they were going because they were afraid like the press was going to follow them. They had a big they had a big get together, a big gala to for support for the family, and they had a police escort take them there. I mean, it's it's pretty insane how big the story has gotten. In fact, even government buildings have been lit up in blue for Ben. This is the Peace Bridge, and what an amazing story! And I I don't think Mindy ever realized this would ever happen. 
And it's moving. All of these people praying and supporting this family. But you know, I think she would trade it all in a moment for the answer that she wants to hear. The answer of prayer. The answer of healing for her son. Because that's the question that still remains. Her latest post last week was very uh, is devastating. That Ben is at the point where he basically can't move. They have to lift him and carry him everywhere he goes. So this morning, we're going to talk about the master. The master over life and death. And this is a sermon for anyone who has ever experienced the pain and the suffering that you've experienced, that someone you love has experienced and you've prayed for them and you've ached for them, or for you who have ever asked God, why did you let that happen? This message is for you. And I suspect that all of us have at one time or another. The story centers around a family, a family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you'll recall that Martha, that Mary is the one who anoints Jesus with her hair. And, and uh, Martha and Mary also have another uh, famous story. Martha, they invite Jesus over for dinner and Martha's doing all the cooking and Mary's sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha, like some of my kids say, says to Jesus, tell her to help me. And unlike Jesus, I would say, get in there and help her. But Jesus said, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing. You remember that story. And here he is, he's back in the story with this family. And it's interesting to note that when Jesus comes from the village where he is, now he, we've, we've talked about, um, a number of discourses that take place in Jerusalem, uh, followed by Carl talking about Jesus' discourse on the Good Shepherd. So this takes place immediately after because Jesus was receiving threats in Jerusalem. He goes away and as soon as he arrives on the scene in Bethany outside of Jerusalem, they all, they, they address him with the same exact statement. Did you notice that? Martha and Mary say the exact same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now how does that strike you? Does that strike you as disrespectful? Does that strike you as irreverent? I mean, here is the rabbi, the Messiah, coming out of his way into dangerous territory. His life has been threatened. And the first thing they can say to him is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's talk about the the details of this story in just a moment. You know, notice these details. Jesus was on the east side of the Jordan River when this takes place, probably in Perea, perhaps in Decapolis. But he's he's away from Jerusalem. He's away from the area of Judea where his life was threatened. And when he received the news about Lazarus, he waited two more days before traveling to Bethany. So by the time Jesus leaves, he already knows that Lazarus had died. And by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So it seems to me that their statement is rather true, that had he been there, he could have done something about it. In fact, if you think about Jesus in terms of a medical doctor, a doctor who delays action for two two days for seemingly no good reason, would be one susceptible to malpractice or a lawsuit or losing his license. 
So it seems to me that their accusation is appropriate. Perhaps irreverent, but appropriate. And perhaps it's not so much an accusation as it is a statement of faith. Because let's be honest, if Jesus was there, Lazarus would have been saved. But notice something. Jesus doesn't condemn their questions or accusations. He doesn't say, how dare you address me that way? I've come all this way, and that's what you're going to say to me, the first words out of your mouth? No, he doesn't say that at all. Rather, he invites them into his answer. He's going to respond to them. There's a number of lessons that we re- that we learn from this story, and the first one is this. Jesus welcomes the honest and tough questions. He welcomes the honest and tough questions. I don't think God ever says, don't ask me why. In fact, I think the opposite. I think God would delight in us asking why. But I think he would also delight in a sincerity in our hearts to give Jesus the time and space to give us the honest answers. Because they may not come right away. But just as in this story, he allows, when when they allow him to work, they see his glory. Jesus invites us to ask the hard questions. The second thing that we see here is in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, there are so many stories that we've talked about in this series, The Master, that, that the, the character who is interacting with Jesus begins a theological discussion as if Jesus needed one. You think about the woman at the well who starts getting into this this whole conversation about, you know, our fathers and this and that. And you think about the Pharisees, our father Abraham. You think about Nicodemus and Nicodemus talking about all of this theology. And, and here Martha is, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So it seems here that Martha doesn't even believe that Jesus has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And perhaps the reason stems from a Jewish uh, philosophy or uh, tradition that says that after three days, the soul leaves the body. So per, now it's been four days. It's been four days, so the possibility of Lazarus rising from the dead is, in her mind, totally impossible. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you, Martha, do you believe this? Jesus does something here because you notice Martha, she is, she has a theology about the past. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. She has a philosophy, a theology about the future. I know he will rise again on the last day. Jesus, as he so often does, especially in the book of John, invites her into the present. I am the resurrection and the life. Those I am statements are so key. It's not I will be the resurrection life. It's not I was the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus invites them into a theology of the present. And that's what he does with all of us. Jesus invites us into the fullness of eternity, even even when it doesn't make sense. And you know, that's the thing too. In, in our lives, it's easy to think about the what-ifs 
And it's easy to think about the, okay, in the future, the hardest part, especially in times of suffering, is that Jesus is right there with us. And he all, he, he's speaking in the present. I am the resurrection and the life. The third point, central to this story, is this uh, phrase. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's Jesus wept. Jesus wept. In fact, this whole story is filled with so much emotion that we don't see in a lot of other stories. It says that, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And how many times does it say, and Jesus was moved. Jesus was moved by this. Jesus was moved by that. Jesus weeps. A lot of people have speculated and asked, why does Jesus cry in this story? Why does he weep? And some have said he weeps because he sees their lack of faith. They don't believe that he can raise them from the dead. Some say that he weeps because he sees sin and he sees the effect of sin and he sees death and he sees what it's done to his his friend Lazarus whom he loves and he knows that that's his fate soon as well and how terrible it is. I think those are all plausible and good answers. I would even throw out another one. You know, sometimes... I and the rest of the world can be a little hard on politicians, right? And we can be hard on them because they make decisions that we don't understand. And we're like, why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why did? But, you know, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Because politicians have so much information that we're just not privy to sometimes. And they act or they don't act based on that information that we perhaps don't have. And, you know, I think this... Plays, I think it's probably hard for them. Here they hear all of this information. They have all of this information. They make a certain decision. And then they get hounded in the media by that decision, whether for, whether they did something or did nothing. And I think it was hard on Jesus. I've been in, in sort of that position, a little bit different, where someone's like, well, why, why is this happening? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And you're just like, I can't tell you all of the details, but you just gotta trust me. And how many times does Jesus do something or not do something? And everyone's like, why didn't you do this? Why why not? Jesus, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? It, it, this guy who, who could open the blind, the blind eyes, how is it that he couldn't keep Lazarus from dying? I think that was hard on Jesus. I think that was emotionally tolling on him. Here is all these people accusing him and saying this and that and putting this pressure on him, and they don't know the full picture. I think all of it, all of it boils into this emotional moment, and Jesus weeps. You know, but more than that, what we see in Jesus is we see the humanity of God. I've heard so many people say, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, they're the same. And the God of the New Testament has a wonderful expression of love throughout the pages. But I think more than that, we can relate with Jesus in a way that we cannot relate with God the Father because Jesus is in human form. He's fully divine and fully human. And we see in Jesus this humanity that he weeps with us that he cries with us, that he hurts with us. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what that's saying? That's saying that you don't have to say to God, God, I understand you don't have time for me. My, my, my prayer requests are petty and silly and you don't want to hear this stuff. No. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows what you're feeling. He hurts with you. And we can approach him confidently knowing that he loves us and that he wants to hear from us as well. No thing is too small for our master. Fourthly, this story is a story about trust. There are a lot of, a lot of groups in this story and a lot of them needed to trust in Jesus. It begins with the disciples who were afraid to travel with Jesus back to Jerusalem. I would even, or back to Judea. I would even add that Thomas's statement is one of cynicism or perhaps sarcasm when he says, let's go back to Jerusalem so we can die with them. I think that was his, I think that was the tone. I can't, I don't know for sure, obviously. But you have this real fear in the disciples to follow Jesus. And the disciples didn't understand Lazarus's dilemma. They were confused by Jesus' talk. And Mary and Martha didn't understand why Jesus wasn't there to save Lazarus. And then Martha didn't truly believe in the possibility of Lazarus' resurrection. And the onlookers don't understand why Jesus didn't prevent Lazarus' death. And then when Jesus tells them to open the tomb, they don't want to, because as the King James Version says, Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) His body was decaying. Please, let's not open that, that door. The fourth thing, and it reminds me here, that faith in Jesus is not about having all of the answers. It's not about having the perfect theology. It's not even about, it's not even about knowing what's going to happen or having a clue of what's going to happen. It means trusting in the one who does know, who has all the answers, that Jesus is in control. Faith in Jesus means trusting in his control. And the last point I would make is that along those lines, faith in Jesus is trusting in the power and the promise of the resurrection. And when I say that, I don't mean to say just in the promise that we will rise after we die. I mean more than that, much more than that. I mean, as Tim Keller says in Reason for God, he says the biblical view of things is resurrection, not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life that you always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. I love that quote. Not just a consolation of the life we never had, but a restoration everything being undone and repaired and an eventual glory. And and you hear people talk about this at at funerals and and you hear people say things like, he's in a better place, She she has her new body. And we express that joy, even though it's hard, we express that joy that they will, they're dancing and, and and they're restored and they have a freedom about them that they never had before. But there's something else here. 
You know, when we look at the story, when we look at the Psalms, a lot of people have said, how can these Psalms be inspired by God? Look at David. He says things like, God beat up my enemies. Right? <laughs> Take them out, God. Well, I think this is beautiful because I think what David is expressing here is he's expressing a desire for God to make things right. And better David to ask God to do it than him to do it on his own. That's what David is trusting. And in some cases, God does take revenge on his enemies. In some cases, it's long after David's life before Jerusalem is restored. And in some cases, Jerusalem has still yet to be restored and we wait for a coming day. But there is this trust and this hope that God himself will make everything right and make it even better than before. But this is not just a trust. This is not just a, oh, you know, everything will work out. It's not this blanket faith in nothing. This is a faith in Jesus himself. There is only one person that says, I will make things right and I will make things better than before. I am the resurrection life. Nobody else has ever said that. No one else can ever do that, but Jesus can. And in John 1, 4, we read, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, nobody would dare make the claims that Jesus does, because he is trustworthy. When we look at this, we see five points here. And we see five characteristics of Jesus come through in this story. We see his honesty. He invites us into his eternity. When we see him weep, we see his humanity. And when we see him asking us and and those around him to let him be in control, to trust him, we see his perfect sovereignty. And when we see him say, I am the resurrection and life, and we see him raise Lazarus from the dead, we see Jesus making everything right because he is righteousness. So today, what I would like to do as we close is I'd like to spend some time in prayer on these five points so that you can pray right alongside with me on these five characteristics of Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. And think about a moment in your life, perhaps where you still don't understand what God was doing. Perhaps there are still unanswered questions. Perhaps you have a concern on your heart for someone or yourself, someone who may be sick, someone who may need God's hand of intervention. I want to begin with the honesty of Jesus and begin with us being honest with him. As you pray this morning, come to the Lord. Give him the hard question, God, why? I didn't understand when you did. I need help understanding.
And also, I'm going to open my heart to be receptive to your answer. It may take a year, it may take a week, it may take a lifetime. Help me to see things from your perspective. Secondly, let's pray about the eternity of Jesus. It's easy to think about the what-ifs, but God's kingdom is not based on what-ifs. It's easy to think about the future, perhaps even worry about the future. But right now, focus, think about, see, hear the words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. I am is here. Invite the I am. Be present with the I am this morning. God, help me when I'm worrying about things of the future to remember that you are here now in the present. You are the great I am. Thirdly, let's pray about the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, show me how you feel. Show me how you hurt, just as I hurt. Show me how you love the people that I love, that I pray for. And spend time with Jesus here. Picture him, see him, hear his words of comfort. Hear him say those famous words, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. And when you pass through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Hear the words of weeping and of love. And take a moment now to trust Jesus. And perhaps it's as easy and as profound as saying, I trust you. I trust you. I choose Jesus to trust you. doesn't mean I understand, but I trust you. And Jesus, I trust you to make things right. I have my sense of justice. I have my things that I would want to make happen. I have it all figured out in my head how things should work. But I'm trusting you, Jesus, 
to be my righteousness and to make things right. Father God, help us to live out these words and commit them in our daily walk with you. You have promised us that we will have trouble, but we can take heart because you have overcome the world. You are the sovereign God. You are the great I am. Before Abraham was, you are, you am, and we trust you. We put our faith in you, God, our master and our savior. We cannot do this on our own. We turn our hearts, our minds, our strength to you. We love you, Jesus. You love us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's Located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.